welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, guys. Let's pray quickly. Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help me to um, impart wisdom and understanding to all of us here today. Um, Thank you for this opportunity to share. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Have a seat, guys. Uh, So good morning to you all. Um, I'm delighted to have this opportunity to share with you um, on this, this wonderful book of the Bible, um, Proverbs. And um, Proverbs, as we know, was written by Solomon, the son of David, and um, he was much lauded for the vast amount of wisdom and understanding that he possessed. Um, but when you kind of take an overview of his life, um, it's it's interesting that he had a lot of wisdom and understanding to impart to others, but he was not necessarily, he didn't necessarily direct a lot of that wisdom towards himself. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Um, I have a good relationship with my mother-in-law, I think. Um, she's gracious, she's kind, she's a good cook. Um, but I think you would have to agree that someone that had 700 mothers-in-law was maybe not directing a lot of wisdom towards themselves. And um, so although he had a lot of uh, wisdom to share with others, he, he um, did not necessarily exercise that discretion in his own life. Now, um, it seems, Proverbs seems like a kind of an odd book of the Bible because there's, um, there doesn't seem to be anything particularly spiritual about it. Uh, there's nothing about salvation, there's nothing about justification, heaven, hell, um, it's a very practical book, though. Um, and so I'd just like to share um, with you what... There's a very great Bible teacher in England named David Pawson, and um, here's what he has to say about Proverbs. The book of Proverbs describes life as it really is, not life in church, but life in the street, the office, the shop, the home, The book covers all aspects of life, not just what you do on Sundays. It considers how you should live throughout the week in every situation. Um, Some of the Proverbs are more entertaining um, than life-enriching. If you've read the whole book, you'll know that. Um, And others just seem to be downright immoral. Like one of the Proverbs reads, A bribe does wonders. It will bring you before men of importance. So um, sometimes, sometimes the Bible describes a particular behaviour, other times it endorses a kind of behaviour, and uh, you need to be discerning about which is required. Um, so I'd like to discuss with you a few of um, Solomon's Proverbs that pertain to how we deal with neighbours. Okay, um, When Jesus was asked to sum up Uh, the most important commandment. He said, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul and mind. Love your neighbour as yourself. So the next question is, well, who's your neighbour? What what is your neighbour? What does it mean? 
Um, and so a dictionary definition will tell us, well, your neighbour is a person living next door to or very near to the speaker or person referred to. Let me give you a uh, Michael Samil working definition of who your neighbour is. It's a person in your world who you have absolutely nothing to gain by helping. Okay? Um, because you're not bound by the affection for them that you would have for, say, a, a family member or a close friend, and you're not bound by some sort of contractual arrangement that you would have with your local plumber. Um, so it, it's the person next door to you. It, it could be the person who catches the same train as you in the morning. It could be someone that you run into uh, at Woolworths and never see again. Um, and just any number of these people uh, could be your neighbour. And uh, the point is that it matters to God how we treat such people because uh, when we were estranged from our God, we needed someone to take the initiative to reach out to us. Um, as it says in Romans 5, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself a bit. Now, if I lend my neighbour my, my chainsaw or my food processor, they wouldn't want the food processor at the moment, but, but if, if it worked, um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really expecting to get anything out of that in return, really. Um, so it's one of the most simple uh, elemental acts of grace that you can perform for someone. I, I really don't have anything to gain by that. So our interactions with neighbours are actually as close as we come in everyday life to um, exercising this divine principle of, of grace towards others. Because like I say, the affection that you might have for close friends or family isn't there and um, you're not bound by some contract like you are to, to say someone is doing work on your house. Okay, so when we... Um, when we choose to go out of our way to help our neighbour, whether that's getting them a cup of water or whether it's like the Good Samaritan bandaging your wounds and paying all your hospital bills, um, then, yeah, that, that's like I say, those um, interactions are opportunities to practice this divine principle of grace. Thanks, guys. Can you put the first uh, proverb up there that I'm going to deal with? I've only been allocated 10 minutes. I spend the first six minutes introducing it. That's great. Um, okay, this is Proverbs 25, 17. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbour's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. Eleanor Tankard paraphrase, don't be annoying, which is true. Uh, there's a saying in the US, uh, it's... Well, it seems to be more popular there than, than here. And the saying is, good neighbours make good fences. You heard that before? Um, and it seems a bit counterintuitive, doesn't it? Because um, you would think, well, if I'm a good neighbour, wouldn't that mean being open and available and, and friendly and all that sort of thing? Um, wouldn't that be the Christian thing to do? Uh, but let's just think about an actual fence that separates, say, you from your next door neighbour. Like... Whose responsibility is it to fix that if it falls down? I, I suppose it depends why it fell down, but um, but it's in both of your best interests to get that fence fixed. And then if there's some sort of imbalance in that partnership, even if it's like a 55-45 imbalance, then there's going to be some resentment uh, building 
on one side. Um, and that's not something you really want to have to deal with. So the fence obviously is a metaphor in the saying, uh, because actually a good neighbour puts certain boundaries in place. Because boundaries are actually healthy. You don't want to be 100% vulnerable with every person that you come across. Okay? Now, um, I'm a little ashamed to admit this, but I'm, I'm not a real kind of handyman kind of a, a guy. Like, I, I am getting better. I did, I did drill a hole in 2017. But um, <laughs> for the most part, like, I just, I just want to practice the guitar and read books and fixing stuff just gets in the way of that. But, um, but I, I do have the fortune to live near Dale Crowther. And um, so if I have a particular problem with my lawnmower, I need some advice on something, he's a really good person to go to. But if I phone Dale at 2.30 in the morning and say, Dale, can you help me undo my shoelaces? Like, I don't think he's going to be thrilled about that. Um, because I'm, I'm sort of, I'm exploiting his usefulness for my own advantage and uh, with no consideration for his personal boundaries. And uh, he's going to have his fill of me very quickly. Uh, I'd still like him to think that he can text me photos of him in board shorts and I could give him advice, but sorry, that's a bit of a church in-joke. <laughs> we'll explain later. Okay, okay uh, let's move on. Proverbs 11 to 12. Thanks, guys. Now, the next one. Uh, yep. Whoever belittles his neighbour lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Now, in my formative years, um, I could often be found bickering and fighting with my older brother. And um, my mother used to have this little catchphrase, and maybe your mother said something similar. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. And uh, my mother doesn't have a bogan accent, but... but, um, but <laughs> She's from the North Shore, but anyway, but there's a lot of um, <laughs> there's a lot of wisdom in that actually, um, and because silence is the starting point for both humility and uh, understanding, uh, because in moments of silence you really learn to weigh your words. And uh, when Chris was preaching a few Sundays ago, he referred to Proverbs 17:28, which says, um, even a fool is considered wise um, when he says nothing. And, and many of you would have heard of that saying, you know, we've got two ears and one mouth, so listen twice as much as you speak, that sort of thing. But there does come a point where you do actually need to say something to your neighbour, to anyone. So I really encourage you to uh, weigh your words don't throw them around like confetti. Um, words have a constructive power and they have a destructive power. So we know that it's by the power of words that God created the heavens and the earth. Um, but we also know from um, James chapter 3 that there is a destructive power in words. Thanks, Josh. If you could put the next one up. Uh, how great a forest. Um, I'm just, where am I reading from? Okay, that's all right. How, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, says James chapter 3. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Yeah. All right. Thanks for that. Um, so I kind of learnt this uh, the hard way in life and um, about 
the importance of weighing one's words, shall we say. Uh, so I'll just tell you a little story um, in the few moments I have left. Uh, so a number of years ago, I was living in Invercargill. Invercargill is uh, a city in the South Island of New Zealand. It's got about 50,000 people there. And um, I'd moved there to work in a special needs school. And uh, you've got to be careful when you move from a, a small city to a a bigger part in a large city to a small city. Um, because when you talk to someone in a small city, there's always a chance that they know someone who knows someone who you work with and, and that sort of thing. Um, so I, I was going in, into a cafe, a local cafe, and I, I went to sit down in a lounge chair and, and there was a gentleman across from me who um, had apparently reserved uh, the chair I went to sit in for someone else. And... Um, and so he let me know that in a very sort of snarky and snooty way. And um, I, hadn't been, I hadn't really been walking with the Lord for very long at this point. I didn't really have a um, – I hadn't really mastered the virtue of self-control. Um, and, uh, you know, I had a bit of a short fuse, which I'm, I'm still battling with. Um, so uh, I let him know in no uncertain terms that I was planning on sitting there. And uh, there might have been a bit of name-calling, too. Uh, uh, <laughs> so it didn't sort of escalate into physical violence. But, you know, I did reflect. I perhaps didn't handle the situation particularly well uh, later. And um, I found out a few weeks later that that person was the parent of a student that I worked with in uh, this special needs school. So that was embarrassing. If you can't say anything nice... Um, so, you know, we were saying before, good neighbours make good fences, but maybe there also needs to be a kind of fence between your thoughts and your words. Uh, maybe a, a sort of mobile fence. Maybe a gate. Build a gate between your thoughts and your words. Um, and I, I exhort you also to look out for the random passerby who needs assistance, because when you needed divine assistance... Um, God sent his son to look after you. Okay, thanks everyone. Thanks, Michael. I get to speak next. Uh, you have a very good way of describing things, Michael. <laughs> uh, Proverbs... I, I get the great, uh, the great privilege of speaking about friends and, and what sort of Proverbs says about friends. Uh, and, yeah, 10 minutes is this. <laughs> plenty, plenty to do. Uh, but I've always loved Proverbs. I've always loved Solomon. I've always thought he was a very <laughs> interesting character. The 700 wives, that's, that's oh, good. Well, um, but I feel like Proverbs, Ecclesiastes is one of my favourites, but Proverbs is like this this punch of just knowledge so quickly. The, the way I tried to put it into words is that it's like a classroom and it's the week before exams. The teacher knows all of the answers and you haven't really studied um, and you can kind of sit in the corner and just like draw in your notebook or you can kind of like go, this, this, I should listen to what this person is saying and I will pass the exam well. Um, if you can just catch some of Proverbs, 
That you just unlock stuff that is that is beyond your years. You will appear wise. Um, just the not speaking is is a very good one, uh, and that's the the Michael Samil to listen twice as much as you speak. Good advice. Uh, and I want to I want to break this this down from Proverbs as much as I can. Just some there's a lot of punchy scriptures. Just speaking about friendship, uh, and I wanted to to really start off by just focusing on. The importance of a real friend. I've got 265 Facebook friends, ladies and gentlemen. That is not many when I started just looking at like friends of friends. Like, people have got a lot of Facebook friends. That's, I, I'd like to, to re-term it because it's not a friend. It's a Facebook maybe acquaintance. Maybe it's like Facebook you went to school with. Maybe it's a Facebook... Because in reality, of those 265 people, there is a, a large amount less than that that I could actually go to and have a proper conversation. There are people on that Facebook group that I walk past in shops and I kind of make eye contact and they continue walking. They're like, you're not a Facebook friend! And that's, that's, that's just the reality of, of where we're at as society right now. There is, we are the most connected group of people to have ever walked on this earth and yet we are the most isolated. We are the most switched on, connected Facebook people and yet there has never been more people who explain this feeling of loneliness. People say that it's amazing that Jesus had 12 close friends in his 30s. That's well, 11, but you, you, have this, <clears throat> you have this facade that is going on in people's lives right now. You have this Facebook thing of, I'm going to take 30 photos, pick the best one, change it a little bit, and then put that up. Um, if I was to, if you were to go through my Facebook, you would find that there is a series of photos of very cute-looking children. You don't find the, the nappy photos. You don't find the screaming, I don't want to go to bed photos. It's a facade. You cannot look at something like your Facebook, your Instagram, and actually draw out anything about anyone. Again, we can go to the world. We can go to what the world says um, but the Bible is amazing. I do want to share with you a, a, a scary statistic. Um, last year, the Australian Psychological Society released the Australian Loneliness Report. I hadn't really looked into it, but it's, um, it's, it's a report that just talks about... Uh, it was a survey that was done. A series of people sort of gave some feedback. Uh, and they say that loneliness is a growing concern globally because of its reported impact on health and well-being. So some of the stats about loneliness here is that loneliness is a feeling of distress. It is a personal feeling of social isolation. It is different to feeling alone. We can be surrounded by others but still lonely. We can be alone but not feel lonely. Uh, as humans, we're social animals uh, and loneliness is thought to arise because of an innate need to belong to a group is unmet. Uh, and then re researchers found that loneliness is related to more and more, uh, the, the it's about the quality of your friendships, not the quantity, which I'm sure we knew most of that already. 
Um, and so that was about it. But th this survey highlights, and I've just drawn out a few little points here, that, that one in two Australians feel lonely for at least one day a week. One in four Australians experience high levels of social interaction anxiety. And that lonely, lonely Australians have significantly worse health status, which is a problem. This is, this, is, this is a real thing that goes on that people don't think about, that, that being lonely ultimately can lead to poor health. It can, it, it's, it's not a nice place to be in, and it's, and it's nice to have real friends, um, not just the number on your Facebook profile. And in the Bible, there is, there is so much in there, especially in Proverbs, of just these quick, short, one, like, bam, punches in the face that tell you about what it is. Proverbs 19.4, they're not going to come up on the screen because there's so many of them, but wealth makes many friends, poverty drives them away. When I got my peas, uh, I suddenly had some friends. I suddenly had some people who wanted to hang out with me, which I thought, this is awesome. They did not have their peas. I was a free taxi. These are not friends. Proverbs 27.17 says that as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Do you have a friend who can sharpen you? Do you have people around you that are going to make you feel uncomfortable? Sharpening is not a comfortable exercise. Um, it is grinding away and chipping off parts that are broken and not working effectively. But Proverbs 27 verse 6 says that wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. There are too many of us going around without these real friendships. There are too many of us finding ourselves in a lonely experience because we feel connected. We've got these friends on the screen. They're on my list. Uh, but the real question is, how, how many deep friends have you got? How many, how many people can you really go to and just chew the fat and really just get into the, the nitty-gritty of the, the stuff that's going on? And maybe you don't. Maybe, maybe you're sitting here going, this would be a really nice thing to do. And again, Proverbs has good things about this. I want to talk to you about what it is to be a good friend to someone else. Proverbs 16, 28 says that a troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. It is important that we are not speaking negatively behind the backs of the friends that we have. There are too many times that people are spending time together and they're talking about something else and, oh, well, you should hear what this person did. This is not going to support or build that friendship. Again, Solomon's great. He, you wonder how many experiences he went through just kind of stuffing up friendships with people, going, I'm going to write this one down. This is, this is a good... I'm not going to do that anymore. Proverbs 17 verse 9 says that love prospers when fault is forgiven but dwelling on it separates close friends. There are a number of friendships that, that end because of an argument that's just gone for too long, because of hurt that has been held by one party that when we just forgive, and, and, and sometimes that's really hard, sometimes that's difficult to do, but, but trusting in God and, and really putting it on him to help you get through this tough stuff 
can really help to move through what has been hurt and moving forward. And then the, the classic of, of Proverbs 18, verse 24, is that there are friends who will destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. And there's so much you can unpack from, from, from that, that passage. Um, and the classic that you go to in the Bible of a good friendship is, uh, is, is Solomon's father, David and Jonathan. Do we know, do we know this story that, that David was this amazing king? You read about him in the Bible and he's done all these amazing things. He was not in line to become king. This guy Jonathan was. Uh, and Jonathan and David bond. They have this amazing friendship even through this uh, David becoming king and getting selected to sort of rule over. How many of you maybe have sat there at work in line for a promotion, sat there in line for a, uh, a, a something that's, that's rightfully yours, is coming my way, and then a friend or someone who you know closely gets that particular role? How easy is it to sit there and, and just slander behind their back and go, oh, this was mine, I was entitled to this, this is... It's not, it's not a bad thing to have those feelings and to sort of, oh, I want this. It's, it's a bad thing to go and spread it and talk about it behind people's backs. You, by all means, have these feelings of this is what, what's right, this is what's wrong. But, but really, we, the way we react to this information is what's so important. Jonathan, he could so easily have had David as his massive enemy. And it wouldn't have been hard. There was opportunity for Jonathan's father, who wanted to kill David who Jonathan would sneak in and go, oi, listen, this is happening, go and hide in a cave. That, that Jonathan just actively went beyond this point of just being like a friend, but actually and sort of really helped David out and spoke life and love into his world. Um, and you've got this passage, 1717 17 of Proverbs, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born from adversity. This word love is, is this description of of. Jonathan and David had, um, yeah. When you when you read this passage, it's in um, one Samuel chapter twenty that that David loved. He, he sorry, Jonathan loved David as much as he loved his own soul. This is this is a close friendship. This is this is a friendship that goes deeper than the stuff that's around you. This is a friendship that, that extends beyond your means and what you're sort of looking at in your everyday worlds. Um, uh, it'd be good to have friends like this. Do you have a friend that's going to stick closer than a brother? Do you have a friend that's going to surrender their seat as king for you? That You're not going to have a lot of those friends in your world, but if you can find some, stick with them. Don't speak badly behind their back. Speak life, speak love, build them up. And so then my third, my third point that I want to make here is, is about how to, how to have these friends, how to, how to sort of do friends this way. And really what I draw out of this is just this idea of surrounding yourself with these people. Proverbs 13 verse 20 says that you should walk with the, no, walk with the wise and become wise, associate with fools and get in trouble. The people that you spend time with are going to rub off on you. If you hang around people who are making bad decisions, you will ultimately find yourself making bad decisions. If you are 
I just, it's the classic high school, you, you can choose who you're going to sit with at lunchtime. Are you sitting with the people who are ultimately going to build you up or are you sitting with the people who are on detention at lunch because they're doing silly things? Surround yourself with the people that are going to rub off on you. Proverbs 22, verse 24, don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people. You will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. Advice that I can give, uh, which is important to do, is that if you want to have these types of friends, you should be these types of friends. If you find yourself standing after the second song after January and turn around and say hi to someone and you stand there, wait for someone to come to you, you're going to find that you might stand there for a little while. If you turn around and say hi to someone, go and find someone. Go and say hi. That might way be out of your comfort zone. But if you just say, hi, I'm Tim, that, well, but your name. Don't say, hi, I'm Tim. Because, oh, hi, Tim. And, no, 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 I've done this wrong. <laughs> if you would like to have some people invite you over for lunch, invite people over for lunch. If you want to, Pastor Chris, he's, he's sneaky. He gets in there. You go out for, for, for lunch and you've got to watch him because he'll go and pay for the whole lunch before you even like, know what's going on. This, this I love. I love this thing. Byron's caught on to it as well. But if you can get in there and pay for someone else's lunch before they even know what's happening, whoo, that's exciting because they're, they're like, the, the blessing that they get, it, there's a whole thing in there. Whatever you want other people to do for you, do it yourself. I think that's, that might be in the Bible somewhere. Do unto others. Maybe, oh, I can't. You need to take ownership of what type of friend you're being. You need to look at yourself and commit to what sort of friend am I being and how can I be a good one? Uh, I finish with there is a very good friend that you can have and his name is Jesus and he is the ultimate friend that you're ever going to find who's never going to let you down, who's going to build you up at every possible opportunity. Surround yourself with that friend. Surround yourself with the friend of Jesus who who builds you up and speaks life and love into your world. John 15 verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for one's friends. Jesus is the best friend you could possibly have. Surround yourself with Jesus and you will have a great time. Uh, I would like to now invite Zach up to conclude. Thanks, Tim. Nice work, guys. Can we guess what I'm preaching on? If we're following through, like we meet somewhere, neighbours, we get a little bit more acquainted, then we become friends, and then you get a special friend, and we get married. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so I thought I better start because they've, I think they've got a bit of an easy because they've got lots of friends and stuff. I've only got one marriage, so everything I talk about. We all know where it's coming from, or if you don't agree, you're like, oh, that's, that's them too. So, but anyhow, so I'm married to the beautiful Hayley Ward, who is standing here. We are, she hasn't just been like hunching down on food. We are expecting a child very soon. I'm the one who hunks down the food, not Hayley, so it's fine. But um, we've been married for six years coming up now this year. 
Thank you. So obviously I'm a pro. I love it when we meet other people outside of church and work and stuff. They go, so are you married yet? How long have you been married? Six years? Like, wow. And you can see in their head, they're like, look at this dude. What's going on here? And then you, they ask, oh, so have you got kids? They go, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And they go, mm-hmm. yeah, I get it. I get it. Nice work, mate. You did the right thing. And then how old's the kid? Two. Oh, okay. So you got married pretty young then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it just blows their mind. And, but then I just always try to, just, especially if they're about 30, 29, something, stab back, like, oh, so how long are you married? Like, oh, one, two years? I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, yeah, you'll get there. You know? <laughs> but, uh, just pretend I'm a seasoned and pro, but they're like, oh, but we all fit together for like five years beforehand. I'm like, yeah, but marriage is a bit different, isn't it? But uh, no one cares, though. But, um, <laughs> and so I just... I love the marriage and I think it is one of the, the strongest things we've got to just display God's love and God's grace to other people. It's two people coming together. We're usually the same, but there's a lot of differences sometimes. And just the way that we work together and do life together and have a family, I think that's just such, I mean, it's, it's Christ and the church, isn't it? That's the, that's, the, that's the, what is it, the image that we have for marriage. So I think in doing that, people can see, oh, that's the relationship we collaboratively can have with Jesus is seen through us in our marriage. And I was thinking before I got started in Proverbs, just wanted to quickly jump to John 3. I also don't have Bible verses, so you're just going to have to listen or pull it up. Sorry. So John 3, 8, and it says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And I love that. Like, that's what I want to be. I want to be a refreshing breeze when people interact with Hales and I, or even myself. And we're two spirit-born people. So I want people to go away and feel refreshed. And they feel, and not know where it comes from. I want that little bit of mystery, you know what I mean? It's a technique of trying to communicate and getting people interested in something is to withhold a little bit of information. And I like that mystery. And um, so I just want to... Make sure that we're all above board here. Hales and I did not start off as a fresh breeze, let's be honest. We are two firstborns, which I've read now is probably not a best idea if you're doing relationships, but who cares what the book says. But anyhow, we clashed big time. Don't talk to anyone in that fourth row about anything in the first two years of marriage. Not allowed to. And I only say this because I'm extremely proud where we are and of my family at the moment. So I'm, I'm fine to say, yeah, we clashed, but we were just sorting it out, getting there. But it was pretty, pretty fine. We were, we were not a fresh breeze. We were stale air. Just trying to... <laughs> it's just because we're both very strong-willed. And um, sorry, Tony and Tanya probably know too because we live underneath them, so don't talk to those guys either. So they, they probably heard it all. That's because getting there. But so what the, the point of me is saying that I feel like we've learnt a bit. So even though we're still fresh and young, I just want to say, I feel like I've learnt something, guys. And this is, uh, I've got three keys. And this is just what's worked for us. And I just hope you take the virtue from that and not directly implement it like Hales and I do. But I think there's something there for everyone. Okay. So first one is don't over-spiritualise. I've got a Proverbs 15 to 19. It says, Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be only your own 
and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. It's a pretty good verse for us guys. Um, now, you might be thinking, what do you mean don't over spiritualize? But I remember listening to Chelsea Smith, who is Judah Smith's wife, and she was having this girls only podcast. Now, sounds a bit creepy that I was listening to a girls only podcast. Like, I'm sneaking into every woman and like at the back, oh, look at all the women. Oh, this is great. But it just came up on the feed, okay? And I thought, I might as well listen to it. Who knows? Maybe 21st century man, I need to be in contact with my feelings and everything. So I'm going to listen to it. But she pulled out this verse. I was like, oh, yeah, let's see what the women have to say about this. Like, they probably don't want us touching everything all the time and satisfied. So, which is all right to do when you're married, so that's all right. And she said, so women, what do you think of this verse? And some poor woman, this is why I never, rule of thumb for church, guys, don't answer the preacher's questions. Just don't do it. They're either trying to, like, it's the obvious one, or they're just trying to, like, do the old fakie on you. It's the worst. I never do it. I'm just, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, but she, this poor woman, she gets up, it was on the recorder for everyone. Oh, I think breasts, they have, they're a source of nourishment for children and started going to this big imagery thing. And I thought, oh yeah, that's good. And Chelsea just laughed at her and she's like, stop being stupid. Don't get too spiritual about it. It's saying, enjoy each other, have sex together, get your, be a bit frisky in the house. And so I was like, oh yeah, you idiot. That's what I, but uh, <laughs> but I, uh, I just thought that was so funny and over-spiritualized. And also, that first bit too, it's probably like, I think that's mentioning God's probably not into swinging and open relationships. So let's take that up with the big man if that's something that you're struggling with. But um, so with Hales and I, how we learned to over-spiritualize, and I haven't heard too many people take this approach, but it's working for us now and it might change later on. But at the moment, have you, you know all that in Ephesians, how Paul says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. So I read that in the books. I read the books. Hales didn't read the books. But, um, <laughs> and so she knew that bit though. So we tried to do that at the start. And we'll have a few arguments. Okay, we've got to sort this out before we get there. But it wasn't working. So we got, I think we were just getting too spiritual with it. But then we we're just saying things because we thought that's the right thing to do. Like we we're getting angry about what well, I tried to think of a funny example about the stupid things we we're arguing about. But I couldn't, I honestly couldn't think about it. So. I'm sorry, but they would have been good. And, and so we're just saying things like, oh, well, no, you can't be angry, so love me right now. And they're like, what? No, okay, I forgive you. And then I'm sitting in bed going, no, no, she's got away with it. She's got away with it again. Oh, this is ridiculous. You can't, but I said, no, I said that. So we stopped doing that now. And I just need, like to me personally, Hales is so good at moving on and, Forgiving stuff. It's just me. I just take a bit more time to process things. So I'm not so concerned if there is a little bit of tension when we go to bed anymore because I, my brain just needs to like process things and come out of it. And I think the virtue, what Paul's actually saying is just make sure you deal with it. Don't let it sit there and you know, like root itself in and then get a hold of something. So it's, I think it's okay if we go to bed angry sometimes at each other. That's just my view. Paul thinks you've got to do it every day. But All right. So first point, don't over-spiritualize. And this is number two, fix yourself. All right. So Proverbs 27, 15 to 16. A continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Whoever restrains her restrains the wind and grasps oil 
only with his right hand. Now, I haven't gone back to the Greek or Hebrew or anything, but I'm pretty sure that's going to apply to us guys too. So just for this message, let's all just say a contentious woman slash man, because I don't think any of us should be contentious, but, and I, don't th- I think we could all agree on that. And I just love that image of the trying to restrain the wind or catch oil in your right hand, not your left hand. That might work. So, but um, and it reminded me of Ira because he is such he's such a bossy little dude. He reminds me so much of me. Like I feel like it's me without all the politeness and everything I've learned to deal with. And I'm internalized like, oh no, stop it, mate! You're gonna let the secret out. But um. He, he will yell at the wind, stop it, wind, because it gets in his head or he's so worked up, red face, angry, can't understand why the wind's not listening to him and he can't do anything. And that's what it's like, I think, when you're trying to change your spouse or something that's frustrating or annoying you, and it's going to happen, not to say they shouldn't change, but I think you need to keep your own heart right. And trying to restrain the wind, trying to grasp oil, trying to change a spouse, it's, it's, it's pointless to do it like that. Even if it's, it's, like, it's for good reasons. Like I, was, I don't want to think of any examples because, I don't know, it could get awkward. But it's not the fact that what your spouse is doing is right or wrong. It's the fact that it's going to corrupt you and you want to try to stay pure. If you care about your marriage, you need to try to keep a a pure heart, and not let any anger or hatred or anything get in there in the way that you relate to each other. So Hales is so good at demonstrating a sacrificial love in our marriage. So I'm so blessed that she, I go off to work. So we're pretty standard, like, 1950s couple. <laughs> I go off to work, then she looks after Ira, cleans the house, I get home, dinner's usually ready, and then it's bedtime, bath time, and get into bed, it's all pretty done it by seven if we're on a good run and um it's so rewarding to me and one means I can keep firing on all cylinders at work I mean the amount of people who raise their eyebrows like oh you had a kid how are you doing with sleep I'm like oh yeah pretty pretty good how I, I got to sleep how many like seven 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 and a half hours or so <laughs> That's, I just feel bad because and it makes me sound like a bit of a nasty person like but I'm not forcing Hales to do this. She wants to do that for me. And in return now, I want to help her. Like I've spent, I was a busy period at work, but then she wanted to change her website to get a different pay service. So I was like, okay, I'll figure out how to do a website. Can't be that hard. Try to do it. It was more difficult than I thought, but we got there. And um, all when I was thinking she used to do when we first got married, no, we had Ira, not when we got married. We did a wedding at Kangaroo Valley which was a mad effort. I didn't, really didn't enjoy that day. But um, So I had, I would have been six months, maybe early, because I think he was still getting breastfed. And I had full full week of work, and then we're up at like four o'clock to drive to Kangaroo Valley to do this wedding, just Hales and I, because she was doing the flowers and the styling. So we get there. It was like full operation, make sure I feed him, put him in, do this, that. All right, pack the, quick, he's asleep, pack the car, pack the car, get in, let's go, let's go three hours or something, drive. Get there. And then she's off and she's in super business girl mode, which is great. That's where I want her to be. And I want to make sure that I'm doing everything I can that she can focus on her work like Hales does for me. So I've got iron in one hand. I'm going around to all the tables doing like 50 trips of flowers and everything. And then I'll put him on the mat there. Stay there, stay there, running around, do that. 
there's some strain, like the mum of the bride's come and annoying him, like, hey, cool, cool, go, go away, leave him alone. He doesn't get it, yeah, get him back. And I, I just love that, like that we get to help each other out. And my favourite thing is like, when we, when we're having, we're going to have labour again soon, but that was my favourite time with Hales. And, <laughs> you laugh, but I was working with a guy at work and he was geeing me up and I'm just, I'm a bit awkward like this and he was having a laugh going, oh, I was teasing my wife that I was saying, I wish I got to go through labour and everything. I was like, yeah, same. And I thought he was like, I thought he'd been real because I'm like, it's such a great experience. Yeah, look, there must be this bond and everything. I'd love to do it. And then he realised that I didn't get it was a joke and it was a bit awkward. <laughs> I just looked weird as not like a macho man. And then I quickly came around like, oh, no, I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) But All right, so that was to focus on yourself. Number two, oh, three, three, be grateful. So Proverbs 31, 10 to 11, who can find a virtuous wife slash husband? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack or gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favour from the Lord. That's Proverbs 18.22, that last one. Sorry. And um, so this is the third kind of key which I've used in our marriage to have a healthy marriage. I always come from this point and whenever I'm trying to, there's an issue and I'm trying to think, okay, what's the right way to do with this? Or what's, I don't know, is my fly undone or something? Why are you laughing at me? <laughs> all right, that's all right. That's all right. Um, I'm losing my train of thought now, guys. Okay, this is what I'm saying, being grateful. I honestly feel like so surprised and gobsmacked still that I've convinced someone to spend the rest of their life with me. No, honestly, I don't think we should lose that. I think it's, it's, it's grounding and humbling and it, it, it puts us into perspective before we make a call as a, as a couple. And I'm not saying in the sense of you're worthless, who could love you? Like not, not that you're down in the dumps and that you're horrible. It's just that, I mean, if you're honest, we've all got our issues I mean, I'm pretty hard to deal with. I know that as a husband. I'm pretty annoying and I'm still surprised Hales wants to be with me. Honestly, honestly. And so I feel like we need to hold on to that. Your partner, your spouse has chosen to spend their life with you, their whole life. And I really think if you approach most of the issues or any type of frustration or tension from the perspective of, hang on, hang on, let's just before we like go at each other's throats, like you you picked me and in my our case we had nothing like it's not like I had stacks of money no anything like nothing I mean what did I have not a guitar <laughs> I had a guitar <laughs> yeah, I had a falcon a 1990 falcon which was older than me straight six that's crazy to me it's absolutely crazy so this is Proverbs 30, 21, 23. Under three things the earth trembles. Under four it cannot bear up. A servant who becomes a king, a godless fool who gets plenty to eat, a contemptible woman who gets married, and a servant who displaces her mistress. You see, I think if we lose that gratefulness of our partner towards God and towards our partner, we get some like contempt in there against them. 
And that's when, this is the thing, it's so, it's just the earth trembles under these things when a contemporary woman gets married. So when there's hatefulness between a couple, it's so awkward. Have you ever been to dinner with a couple and then the spouse says something nasty to their spouse? It's just a mood kill, isn't it? It's just, oh, that's yuck. Like, why'd you do that? Like, it's not cool. They're your partner. Like, it makes you look silly when you put them down. Like, we should be building each other up. So, that's the three things I want to focus on. And that's what helped Tails and I, and obviously, we've got the perfect marriage. So, <laughs> from the start, uh, don't over-spiritualize, fix yourself, and be grateful. And I think those three things, without, like, it wasn't like a conscious thing that we've been like, Oh, they're the things that I focus on every day. But we've been, as we've been growing together, that's naturally been developing within us. And I think that verse here when it says, For her worth is far more than the heart of her husband safely trusts her and he will lack no gain. That's to me what we should be having in our marriages to be that fresh air when we bump into each other. Have that safety, have that trust and that gratefulness all wrapped up in this love. And that's what I think we should be aiming for our marriages from Proverbs. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.